Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus also said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him or her. Such is the promise and invitation of Jesus. My name is Hal Brady, and I want to welcome you to this program tonight. We seek to lift up Christ, and we seek to bring encouragement to you and everybody else. We are grateful you've joined us, and my prayer is that you will be blessed both by the Word and the music. Would you hear now, please, the reading of God's Word? It comes from Matthew chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterward he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me please now for a word of prayer? O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O oh Lord, which are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Football teams do it in the locker rooms or on the sidelines. Basketball teams do it during timeouts. Businesses or churches, they do it during planning sessions or on retreats. Strategize. All of us determine strategy. In his baptism, Jesus had just been affirmed by God as to who he was. This is my beloved son, said God. Listen to him. Because being who he was, and his mission in the world was to redeem and reconcile, how was Jesus going to strategize? What strategy was he going to lose? He understood his role as the Messiah, but what strategy was he going to use to win the world for God? How was he going to publicly introduce men and women into the kingdom of God? How was he going to call people into fellowship with God? What kind of strategy was he going to use? Now, the writer of Matthew informs us that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Before proceeding any further, we need to define this word tempt. Tempt here means to test. Every servant of God is tested one way or the other. A good example of this testing would be God's testing of Abraham. You remember that story. He asked Abraham to sacrifice his only son Isaac. He loved Isaac so very much. But by Abraham's obedience, he was determined to follow God and to follow God's will. In a similar way, the same thing was going on with Jesus. 
Jesus proved in his temptations that he loved God and he was going to accomplish God's will. So let us look at this event not so much as a tempting experience, but as a testing experience. Everybody that's used of God is tested one way or the other. So what can we learn from this experience of Jesus, his testing or his inner struggles? First of all, the first temptation has to do with physical and material needs. Physical and material needs. Jesus had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and he was depleted in hunger. The devil came to him. Now, just a word about the devil. There was a young lady who had a fiancé who came to her mother one night and said, I'm not going to marry my fiancé. Why aren't you going to marry him, said the mother. Because she said, I just found out tonight Jimmy doesn't believe in the devil. Her mother said, oh, don't you worry about that. You just go ahead and marry him. We'll prove to him that there is one. Now, if we observed Jesus and his temptations in the wilderness, we would not have seen a tempter or we would not have seen a great temple. What we would have seen is a young man struggling with himself. This young man was struggling with how he was going to win the world for God. He was struggling with, is he going to take a shortcut to make this kingdom a reality? But if we had observed him long enough, we would have come to see that he finally rose out of the experience calm and collected because he had decided the strategy he was going to use to win the world. Now all of us, all of us will go into the wilderness and we'll face four questions. Who are you? Where are you going? Why? And how? And until we answer that question according to God's will, we'll never know satisfaction or joy in this world. If we are observed Jesus' temptation, we would just see him struggling with the reality of it. I repeat, Jesus had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and he was depleted and hungry. The tempter said, if you are the Son of God, he knew he was the Son of God, but he just had to test him. He said, if you are the Son of God, then command these stones to be turned into bread. But Jesus answered Satan with a word out of Deuteronomy, a word from Moses. He said, it is written, humankind does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You see, Jesus was well aware that these Israelites had come upon a bread-only illusion in the wilderness and it had a hard time. They'd suffered there with that illusion for 40 years. And so he knew these Israelites had come to understand that unless they themselves had more to do than just bread, they would never be happy or joyful in the world. So Jesus faced two temptations, three of them actually, but this first temptation had to do with bread material things, satisfying his physical needs. Jesus was tempting to use his power in a way that was irresponsible. In other words, he was fulfilling the old philosophy of if you don't look after yourself, nobody else will. Not long ago, I read two articles about the sorry state of service in this country. It seems that one of the articles they conducted a questionnaire and the question was asked about service, and 91% of the people polled said that service was worse in this country today than it was 20 years ago. Now the question is, why is service so much worse today than it was in the past? Basically, the top two reasons were these. First, immediate profits over long-term customer 
good. Immediate profits over long-term customer good. Secondly, the decline of worker loyalty. The decline of worker loyalty. It's the old habit again of looking after number one. If we don't do it, nobody else will. There was a teenage boy that said to his parents one night, he said, I'm getting ready to leave home. I'm going to leave and there's nothing you can do about it. He said, I want to go out where there is adventure and excitement and women. And he said, fun and money. And he said, I can't find it around here. He said, I'm going and don't try to stop me. You can't stop me. But about that time, as he started toward the door, his father jumped up and ran toward him. And he said, I told you, Dad, don't try to stop me. I'm leaving. His father said, who's leaving? I'm going with you. You see, here again is the temptation. The temptation is always attacking our physical and material needs. But there's another aspect of this particular temptation. Studied Kennedy talked about it. Listen to what he said. Jesus was surrounded, I believe, by an innumerable phantom host of the world's hungry people. He saw them stretching out into an endless sea. And like the moan of the sea, there went up the cry, bread, bread, for God's sake, give us bread. And so the tempter said to Jesus, just feed them bread. That's what they need. Give them bread. Don't worry about all these other things, God and love and brotherhood and sisterhood and conversion and change and all these things. Just give them bread. They're looking for bread. If you give them bread, they'll follow you. I guarantee you, they'll follow you. And in our day, let me tell you, hunger is a real problem. Two-thirds of the world's people will go to bed hungry this very night. People in our cities are starving to death. They're homeless everywhere. Just give them some food and they'll follow you. But when did it happen? When did it happen, asked Bishop Wilkie, a United Methodist bishop, when did it happen that the United Methodist Church gradually went from talking about conversion to talking about compassion? In other words, when did we get so concerned with compassion that we forgot to talk about the giver of life? That's a strong question. Hear me now. As interested as Jesus was in the poor, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. As much as he was concerned about the poor, he did not buy into this bread-only illusion. He knew that if the hungry people were going to be fed, if things were going to change in this world, if evil was going to be defeated, then it was not just going to be from materialism. It was going to have something to do with the spirituality. In other words, it took more than just the material to change the way food is distributed in this country. So that's the reason he became concerned about God and love and brotherhood and sisterhood and conversion and change because he knew that bread would only be distributed properly if these particular things were a part of that process. So we don't do enough for people just to feed them. We have to do more than that. What was it Jesus said? He said, humankind does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And then secondly, the second temptation has to do with the sensational magic, being a wonder worker. As soon as the issue of bread was settled, then Satan tempted Jesus in his imagination to go to the top of the temple there in Mount Zion. A corner of that temple overlooks the Kidron Valley, which is 400 feet down. He was there, and so this is what Satan said to him. 
Satan said to him, jump, jump from the temple. Go ahead and just jump. And let these people see that you are not hurt. It will be sensational. And to make the temptation even more real, Satan quoted or misquoted scripture. He said something about the idea of these angels will protect you lest you hit your foot against a stone. So what was this tempter really saying to Jesus? This is what he was saying. He was saying, advertise yourself. Show them who you really are. Get out on a limb and do some of these magical things that I know you can do, and these people will follow you. But before we think Satan was out of line, let's think about our own day. There are many people in our own day who are searching for magic in religious formulas and steps and things like that. You know, 12 steps to a glorious, successful life, five steps to uh, more money in prayer, three steps for God's blessings, you know, all of these things. Why don't we just let God do it himself? Because we don't know how God will do it. We don't know what method he will use, how it will come out. And we would much rather have a religion that is predictable, neat, magical, and a cure-all. And that was the temptation that Jesus had when Satan came to him. He was tempting him to give a practical, attractive, magical, cure-all kind of religion. Now, J. Wallace Hamilton, the great preacher, said that there are two kinds of religion. There's magical and moral. And if you study history, you'll find both kinds of religion. One of those kinds is saying this, God, give us something. One of those kinds of religion is saying, God, make us something. God, what will you do for us? The other one says, God, what will you do in us and through us? But let's go back to this. One says, what are you going to give us? The second says, what are you going to make us? There was a great evangelist, Dwight L. Moody. This particular fellow was a magnificent evangelist, and he had a great influence on his generation. In the 1800s, his sermons were used to help bring about a spiritual renewal worldwide. And he was so passionate about Christ that his message has continued to influence people in the Moody Church, the Moody Bible Institute, and the Moody Publications. But it all started with his commitment to God and his idea of, Lord, make me something. John Killinger said he and his wife were visiting uh, Joseph Kazoon, the fellow who wrote the Joshua series of novels. And he went over to see him one night, and Kazoon showed him these letters that he had sent to the Catholic bishops. And the letter simply said this. He said, I hope you'll tell your priest, these are bishops, I hope you'll tell your priest to talk about Jesus from the pulpit. And then he said, the gist of the message was this. We have many problems in the church, some of which we caused ourselves, some of which are caused outside the church. But he said, if you will just tell them about Jesus, and people will seek to live each day according to his will, everything will take care of itself. You see, here again, you see it. Lord, make me something. And then there's this poem that I like. The Lord, he had a job for me, but I had so much to do. I said, Lord, you get somebody else or wait till I get through. I don't know how the Lord came out, but he seemed to get along. But I felt kind of sneaking like, because I know that I'd done God wrong. One day I needed the Lord myself, need him right away. But down in my accusing heart, I could hear him say, child, I've got too much to do. You get somebody else or wait till I get through. Now when the Lord has a job for me, I never tries to shirk. I drops what I have on hand and does the Lord's good work. 
and my fast can run along or wait till I get through. Nobody else can do the work the Lord marks out for you and for you and for you and for me. Do you hear it? It's make me something. Make me something. Let me tell you, any kind of religion that depends on signs and wonders rather than the Word of God is not authentic faith. It's not authentic faith. We are to live by the Word of God, not by signs and wonders and the sensational and magic and wonder workers and all of those things. And then let's go now to the third temptation. The third temptation has to do with compromise, taking the shortcut, the less difficult. Here was Satan. He called Jesus before him and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, you see all these kingdoms in their splendor? I will give them all to you if you will just fall down and worship me. If you'll just fall down and worship me, they'll all be yours. I'm sure that Jesus, it passed through his mind that he had come into the world to save all these people in these kingdoms. As a matter of fact, he sacrificed his own glory for these kingdoms. His idea was to bring these kingdoms into the kingdom of God. That's what he was here to do. But he also recognized that Satan was offering him another route, the way of compromise, the way of the shortcut, the way of the less difficult. Tell me something. Isn't that the way it is in our own lives, every day of our lives? Shall I read a book of substance, something that will help me grow in the faith, something that will help me to become more like Jesus, something that will help me to do more about the mission of God in the world, or shall I simply watch Family Feud, the Wheel of Fortune, NCIS, NCIS Los Angeles, or some other program. And in the morning, shall I get out of bed and walk a couple of miles, or I shall just lay there and pull the covers up? Shall I walk out on my friend, or shall I just wait and hope things will work out? Shall I actually work with my friend to work things out? Every single day, things come to us they challenge us, and it's not between good and evil. It's between harder and less difficult. But, you see, here was the temptation that Satan had to Jesus. He simply said, compromise. Take the shortcut. Do the less difficult. You know what he was really saying? He was saying to Jesus, oh, don't worry about all these things that you're going through. And he was saying, just wink your eyes at a couple of these things that are not too good he said, just take it easy. Don't be so demanding, and you'll have people following you everywhere all around the world. Mark Batterson, in his book, All In, said this about our churches. He said, most people in most churches think they're following Jesus. He said, in reality, they're really issuing an invitation to Jesus to follow them. And he said, these people are knowing Jesus as Savior, but far fewer know him as Lord. Now, I wouldn't say that's true of most churches, but I'd say that's true of some churches, some people in the churches. These people are not following Christ as Lord. They only know him as Savior. So consequently, that in itself is a tragedy. It's a tragedy. But I repeat, the third temptation, the tempter is suggesting that Jesus use another strategy to win the world, the way of compromise, the shortcut, and the less difficult. However, if Jesus had taken that way, he would have given up the will of his Father. The will of his Father was that he die on the cross. 
That was the will of his father, that he die on the cross. There was an archbishop of Paris who was preaching in his sanctuary, and he said one day he was telling a story about three young men, frivolous, worldly, and passionless, who came into the cathedral. And he said two of them wagered the third that he wouldn't make a bonus confession. The third accepted the wager. So he went over to the confessional booth. He went in, and he began to confess his sins. The priest who was in there noticed that he was pretending. He knew he was pretending. And so he said when he finished, he looked at him and said, to every confessional there is a penance, a penance. He said, what I want you to do now is walk over to that crucifix, and I want you to kneel down in front of that crucifix and look into the eyes of the crucified and say not once, not twice, three times, all this you did for me and I don't give a damn. Well, this young man left the confessional booth, went back to his two friends who wanted to collect the money that they owed him. And they said, oh no, we'll do it after the penance. You have to follow through on the penance. So the young man saw the crucified statue of Christ over there and he went and he knelt down and he looked up into the searching eyes of the aggrieved love, and he said, all this you did for me, and that was as far as he got. Tears started flowing down his cheeks. The pain of repentance took his heart. There the old man died, and the new man came to life. And then that archbishop said, I was that young man. Listen again, so what did Jesus say? This is what he said. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only Him. Worship the Lord your God and serve only Him. Now all of us face these temptations. We face the temptation of materialism. We face the temptation of wanting too much of the sensational. We face the temptation of compromise and the shortcut and the less difficult way. You know, we can summarize our temptations by simply saying this. We tend to treat God as less than God. Listen again. We tend to treat God as less than God. So are we grateful for one, Jesus, who knew the temptations that we knew and yet resisted evil because he had laid hold of Scripture? He laid hold of Scripture and because he affirmed God is only God. So what he said was to each temptation, he said it, Three times it is written. That's the way Jesus handled his temptations, and that's the way we ought to handle our temptations. It is written. He's talking about God's Word. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for this day in your presence. Thank you for the fact that Jesus overcame his temptations, and because he overcame his temptations, we can overcome ours. We pray, O oh God, that you bless everybody that's in the sound of my voice or in the sight of this picture. Bless them and sustain them and use them. It's all in your name. Amen. Thank you very much for being a part of this ministry. I hope that you'll remember to tell other people about it. We are here every Thursday night at 8 o'clock. Have a good evening. Good night. Through the ages to sing of his love for me. How marvelous. How wonderful and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. How marvelous, how 
my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Is my Savior's love for me.